What's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Operation Lone Star in Texas. New numbers detail the program's results. Authorities seized almost a billion doses of lethal drugs, among other things. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is picking up steam. He has the highest favorability rating in a new poll. We'll dive into what he has to say about it and what his appeal is. Twitter's Bluebird is flying away. Elon Musk announces a major rebrand, but some say it may hurt the platform. The IRS issues a warning about the massive amount of tax refund scams it's seeing this summer. Find out what to look for. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, Biden administration officials are headed to Mexico to meet for two days on migration and drugs. They'll talk to both Mexican and Canadian officials. Biden's Homeland Security Advisor is leading the delegation. Other senior officials from the state, justice, and Homeland Security Departments are joining her, as well as officials from the White House Office of National Drug Control. The presidents of the three countries met in January at the North American Leaders Summit. They established a trilateral fentanyl committee, which met last April. But the month of May saw a peak in daily illegal border crossings. That was just before the end of the Title 42 pandemic-related policy that allowed U.S. officials to expel illegal immigrants on public health grounds. Two years after its launch, Texas Operation Lone Star seems to be getting positive results. The state recently published numbers of border apprehensions and more under the program. Take a look. In March of 2021, Texas started Operation Lone Star. The program was meant to stop the smuggling of drugs, weapons, and people into the United States. It was launched in response to a surge in illegal immigration. The operation deployed air, ground, marine, and tactical border security assets to high-threat areas along the border. Now, two years after launching the program, the state released numbers on the operation's success a few days ago. The effort has led to more than 394,000 illegal immigrant apprehensions and more than 31,000 criminal arrests, with reports of more than 29,000 felony charges brought. In the fight against deadly drugs pouring into the United States, Texas law enforcement seized more than 420 million lethal doses of fentanyl during the border mission. In a statement, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said, every individual who is apprehended or arrested and every ounce of drug seized would have otherwise made their way into communities across Texas and the nation due to President Joe Biden's open border policies. The Biden administration previously blamed factors outside its control for the border crisis, such as crime, corruption, and poverty in countries of origin. The administration also blames former President Trump for undermining the country's asylum system, which the current administration says it's trying to fix. The new numbers also show Texas has bused nearly 30,000 illegal immigrants to a number of Democrat-led cities. Out of those, around 10,000 were bused to New York City and another 10,000 to Washington, D.C. Texas officials previously said this serves as a wake-up call to Washington lawmakers. Five migrants were found alive after they were abandoned by human traffickers last week in a mountain pass. The Mexican National Migration Institute says the migrants are from Colombia and Peru, and one of them is a minor. They were found by a rescue team after a 15-hour-long search in La Rumorosa Mountain Pass. It's in the Mexican state of Baja, California, along the border with California. The group was, one, was found after one of them contacted Mexican authorities over the phone and reported they were abandoned by their so-called guide. 
The migrant also said they didn't have food or water and that a couple was traveling with their four-year-old child who had signs of dehydration. The rescue operation ended last Wednesday and the migrants were transferred to a shelter in Tijuana. Border officials inspect a pickup truck and find cocaine hidden in wheels of cheese. The pickup truck crossed into Texas from Mexico. The 22-year-old driver was taken into custody. Almost 18 pounds of cocaine were found in the cheese wheels. The driver told officials he was carrying cheese, but an x-ray scan showed there was something strange about it. Officials opened the cheese wheels and discovered seven bundles of cocaine. The director of Customs and Border Protection at the Presidio port said smugglers will sometimes try to conceal contraband in items that appear innocent to deflect suspicion. Last month, officers seized 146 pounds of cocaine hidden in an ice cream maker at the El Paso border crossing. Presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. discussed his campaign for president on Fox News. He compared what he has faced to former President Trump's experience. It's interesting to me because I've been really, you know, slammed in a way that I think is unprecedented, even more than, than President Trump was slammed by the mainstream, by the corporate media. He went on to comment on a Harvard-Harris poll that says he has the highest favorability rating of all presidential hopefuls for 2024. He said he doesn't know how people are still able to receive his message despite media censorship. He said it could be through podcasts or social media. He said he would definitely not vote for himself if he believed the news provided by the mainstream media. Kennedy commented about the poll results via Twitter. He questioned if the mainstream media would intensify the attacks against him. He suggests a new era of civil, respectful, and substantive political discourse. What's behind this Kennedy's high favorability rating, and what's the latest on his campaign? I spoke with Epoch Times reporter Jeff Lauterbach for an update. Jeff Lauterbach, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. Jeff, tell us about this new Harvard-Harris poll as it relates to RFK Jr. Well, last month, uh, there was a poll done that showed he had the highest favorability rating of any presidential candidate. The Harvard-Harris poll that came out um, July 23rd said the same thing. He has a favorability rating, uh, I believe, of 47 percent, and that's above um, President Trump and President Biden and also Ron DeSantis. And what's behind this, this high favorability rating? Well, since he announced his uh, candidacy back in April, he's gotten support from conservatives, from liberals, from progressives, from moderates, from independents. And that seems to be continuing, uh, even though it's been a few months into his campaign. And he appeals to a wide spectrum of people. And that's uh, that that just uh, is it's in addition to the Kennedy name. It's just his stances, which, you know, some of his stances appeal to conservatives, some appeal to Democrats. OK, so, you know, whenever Donald Trump takes some major political hit, like getting indicted, he seems to raise a lot of money. Are we seeing anything like that happening with RFK Jr. after all the criticism he took for his testimony in Capitol Hill? Yeah, well, it's in different ways, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, it just galvanizes President Trump's base. And that's the same with uh, RFK Jr. 
he gets uh, chastised and criticized for his stances on vaccines. He, he had the hearing, uh, what, July 20th on Capitol Hill, and it was a hearing about uh, censorship, and the Democrats were trying to censor him at the hearing on censorship, and he, he raised uh, quite a bit of money during the uh, time he was doing that testimony. And tell us the, about the significance of that testimony. Well, he, he even discarded his written statement to defend himself against the uh, charges of anti-Semitic comments that the New York Post reported, uh, I believe, a week ago today. And he, he has vehemently denied those charges, and uh, he talked about the hypocrisy of the, uh, the criticism he got. And so that, uh, that really defined his testimony. And you know, you're covering a few RFK Jr. events this week. Can you give us an update about what you're looking at? Yeah, well, he has a live stream event tonight called Heal the Divide, and and that is that's his campaign focus and being a unity candidate. And it's working so far. I mean, he's behind in the polls uh, to President Biden, but he has support, widespread support, as I mentioned, from Republicans and Democrats and independents alike. And then tomorrow, in a previously planned event, he's speaking, uh, it's, it's at a Jewish uh, facility or a, a Jewish center, and he has the support of the rabbi there who came out and said that RFK Jr. is not anti-Semitic. So that's just ironic that that's happening at a time when he's facing those allegations. Jeff Lauterbach, thank you for joining us. Thank you. After the break, a historic strike is looming involving thousands of UPS workers in the nation. The current contract expires at the end of the month. Musk unveils a new X logo for Twitter. Rebrand is just the latest in a series of abrupt moves by Musk since he took over. More in just a moment, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. 14 Republican candidates are running for their party's presidential nomination next year. And as of yesterday, seven of them have met the polling requirements to appear in next month's presidential debate. One is former President Donald Trump, who's leading the pack despite his legal entanglements. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is a distant second in many polls, with tech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy gaining ground. Both will be at the debate. Other candidates who have qualified include former Vice President Mike Pence, as well as former South Carolina Governor and former Ambassador to the UN Nikki Haley. Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina plans to be on the debate stage as well as former New, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. One of the requirements for the first debate is registering 1% in at least three qualifying polls. The Republican National Committee sets the rules for that. As for the other seven candidates, it's unclear if they will meet the threshold when the debate is held August 23rd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Twitter is losing its well-known Blue Bird logo on Sunday. Twitter owner Elon Musk revealed that it will be replaced with an X. The X was projected onto Twitter headquarters. Here's a social media analyst weighing in. I think 
in changing the logo from Twitter to something different. Uh, and in the X logo, it is completely different. You know, there's no uh, there's no cute animal. It's a different color scheme. It's really going to have a totally different appeal. And I think they're throwing the baby out of the bathwater here. And they're losing a lot of, ultimately, a lot of credibility that Twitter has built up over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And, um, and in the last few months, really, um, what they should have been doing, I think, is just rewinding rather than rebuilding. And that's kind of what we're seeing now with the new rebrand. Benvy says the launch of the rebrand is too dark and could limit Twitter's mainstream appeal. He said Twitter has held its ground despite challenges from competitors' social networks, but it should work to improve and expand its strengths rather than worry about rebranding. He says that many issues the social media app has faced over recent months will remain no matter the logo. Twitter's owner and its CEO have both talked about the rapid rate of new feature launches, like changes to audio, payments, and connectivity. Changing the logo seems to be aimed at aligning it under Musk's other ventures, like SpaceX. Here with me live to discuss this is NTD Business's Don Ma. Did, Don, did Twitter change its logo? Yeah, as you mentioned just now, um, Elon Musk and Twitter CEO changed the logo for the social media platform today. It's basically um, the letter X now instead of a bird, uh, as you reported. It appears for now, though, this this replacement uh, for the familiar iconic blue bird um, is not throughout the whole platform just yet. Um, Musk's Twitter handles display the X logo, but you know, it's it's not all visible throughout the entire platform. I was on Twitter uh, this morning, and the hashtag Goodbye Twitter was trending uh, with reference to, to the old logo. Uh, Musk over the weekend also polled his followers on whether they would like changing the site's color scheme as well, from blue to black, to match the color scheme of the new X. He also said, quote, Soon we shall bid adieu to the Twitter brand and gradually all the birds. Um, as well, he also suggested in a post that, um, sorry, in a letter that a post should be called an X instead of a tweet. Uh, the X started appearing at the top of the desktop, desktop version of Twitter as well. And why is he changing this logo in the first place? Um, Elon Musk on Sunday hinted he would do more to take the social media company in a new direction with the rebranding. Um, but mind you, the company has changed its business name as well to X-Corp. Um, so this is perhaps also reflecting Musk's vision to create an everything app uh, like China's WeChat. Twitter's new CEO said that she hopes that X will go even further than Twitter did. And she also hopes that X will transform the global town square. Now, if you go to X.com, you get transferred to Twitter now. So, and here's a fun fact too, in April, the Blue Bird logo was temporarily replaced by Dogecoin's Shiba Doc. Fascinating. What's been the reaction to this change out there? Well, it's, uh, it's definitely the talk of everyone on Twitter. Um, another hashtag, hashtag welcome to X is also trending. And the reaction, as you would expect from Twitter, is mixed. You have, you have the entire spectrum, basically. You have people who love it, uh, people who support it, people uh, basically who don't care and people who hate it and people that are making fun of it. But, you know, of course, this is to be expected. It's completely normal to see on the social media platform. 
Uh, it's yet another change that Musk's ha Musk has made since acquiring Twitter, Twitter, as you mentioned before. And do you think this rebranding will work out in Twitter's favor? I mean, that's that's really the question here, right? I mean, Musk hopes so for sure, but there are some concerns. Uh, for example, changing the logo from um, Twitter to something completely different. It, the question is: Is it going to have mass appeal? Is it is it sort of throwing everything away to an extent? Um, is it going to alienate some users? Uh, is it going to lose credibility? I mean, there, there's a, a lot of concerns here, but I won't go into too much detail here because I'll be talking to a social media professor about this on my show, NTD Business. Uh, but for sure, it has, it definitely does have the potential to work out. Twitter has a lot of very loyal users that you're going to have a very hard time convincing them to leave the platform. But I think we can all agree that X looks basically nothing like a blue bird, right, Chris? <laughs> Definitely not. Thank you, Don. Thank you. The clock is ticking on a historic strike vote for thousands of UPS workers nationwide. The negotiations between UPS and the Teamsters Union have yet to reach a deal, and the current contract expires July 31st. The union president held a rally over the weekend saying they are organized. Negotiations are set to resume this week. We've organized, we've strategized, now it's time to pulverize. Over the weekend, Teamsters Union General President and member speaking out at a rally in Atlanta ahead of a looming UPS strike vote. It comes after the two sides failed to reach a deal over workers' pay and benefits. If UPS workers walk off the job, the effect will be historic, the largest strike at a single company in American history a way to stop concerned UPS customers from going to rival delivery services. We do not get a deal. UPS has chose to strike themselves. And we will not, we will withhold our labor uh, July 31st at 12.01 a.m. But if we get a tentative agreement subject to ratification and we're going to recommend it, then we will not withhold our labor. On Wednesday, UPS released a statement saying in part, we are prepared to increase our industry leading pay and benefits, but need to work quickly to finalize a fair deal that provides certainty for our customers, our employees and businesses across the country. On Saturday, O'Brien said 95% of the contract has been negotiated, adding that UPS knows they need to pay their members, including the part-timers. The packages don't move unless we move them. The stuff doesn't go anywhere unless we move it. According to a Teamsters spokesperson, negotiators from the two sides will meet up on Tuesday in Washington. The IRS has issued a warning about multiple scams involving tax refund and pandemic-related payment schemes. The agency warned extra caution. The agency said the scams are riddled with spelling errors and awkward phrasing, but consistently try to entice people to click on a link. The IRS highlighted five main scams, but says the economic impact payment scheme scam is the highest volume email scheme the IRS is seeing. In this scam, emails are sent to taxpayers making claims they are eligible for a third round of economic impact payments, like the payments given to taxpayers during the COVID-19 crisis. Scammers are also using traditional mail. One scam involves a mailing that arrives in a cardboard envelope from a delivery service. The enclosed letter includes the IRS masthead and wording that the notice is in relation to an unclaimed refund. Amazon has announced new plans to build a $120 million satellite processing plant in Florida. 
The building will be used to help provide over 3,000 satellites. It will be located at the former site of NASA's launch and landing facility. It's expected to be finished in late 2024. The satellites will form a worldwide network of high-speed internet. Satellite launches are set to begin in 2025. Nearly 80 launches for that purpose have already been booked. When we return, air raid sirens sounded during an evacuation drill in northern Taiwan. The event was held in preparation of a potential invasion by Beijing. And ties deepen between the U.S. and Australia as Sydney Harbor welcomes the USS Canberra, the first U.S. Navy ship to be commissioned in a foreign port. We'll have the details soon when we return. Back to the news. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says the United States is trying to strengthen lines of communication with China to avoid a conflict between the two superpowers. Blinken spoke to CNN on Sunday. He says it's important for Washington to stabilize its relationship with Beijing. I was very clear with um, my Chinese counterparts. We will continue to do and say things that China will not like, just as they're going to continue to do and say things we won't like. The test for us is whether we can manage our way through that uh, to make sure that we sustain these uh, lines of communication, that we continue to, to talk, and uh, that we uh, work on, as I said, both dealing with the differences and seeing if we can cooperate. That's the way we're approaching it. I think it's the responsible thing to do. Meanwhile, Australia's Sydney Harbor welcomed the arrival of the USS Canberra. It's the first U.S. Navy ship to be commissioned in a foreign port. The USS Canberra officially joined the U.S. Navy's active fleet at a ceremony on Saturday. The combat ship is named after a Royal Australian Navy cruiser that was sunk in 1942. It was then supporting U.S. Marines landing on Guadalcanal. The U.S. Ambassador to Australia said the weekend gathering was more than just a ceremony. It offered a chance to reflect on shared values between the two allies. Protecting freedom preserving the stability and prosperity of the rules-based order, and doing the daily work of building a more just and peaceful world. So that's what Americans and Australians have been doing together for more than 100 years. Wherever USS Canberra is sailing, and whatever challenges her crew may face, they are ready, as reinforced by this warship's motto. And what is that? The ceremony came amid biannual U.S.-Australia military exercise known as Talisman Sabre. The two-week event is being held across Australia and involves simulated land battles, air battles, and amphibious landings. That's as concerns grow over Beijing's influence in the region. As tensions rise with Beijing, Taiwan held its annual air raid drills in its northern cities today. The drill is designed to practice defense against a possible invasion by Communist China. I think the war could really happen, and when it happens, the situation will be quite different from the drill. I feel that everyone is doing their best to be accommodating, so I don't know what it would be like in case war really happens. As the sirens sounded, towns and cities, including the capital Taipei, were closed for up to half an hour. Police directed passers-by and cars to take shelter by the roadside. Residents were told to stay indoors. 
A series of military drills will be carried out across Taiwan this week as part of an annual military exercise. Just days ahead of the event, China sent nearly 40 warplanes towards the island. Beijing claims Taiwan is a breakaway province and has threatened to annex the island by force. That's despite never having ruled the democratic island. The Biden administration is considering new controls on the semiconductor chip industry in the tech war with China. This could have a huge impact, according to Anders Kaur, publisher of the Journal of Political Risk and principal at Core Analytics. I spoke with him to find out more. Anders Kaur, thank you for joining us again. Thank you. Anders, first of all, tell us about the significance of these chips. Chips are going to power increasingly uh, everything in the future, whether it's uh, military technology, artificial intelligence. They're very, very important to, I mean, we see on the battlefield of Ukraine already that there's uh, chips are being used in everything from drones to missiles. And why is the Biden administration considering new controls and outbound, outbound investment restrictions on the chips industry? China is increasingly belligerent. Russia is obviously belligerent in Ukraine. Uh, so the Biden administration is trying to limit the chips that these two countries and some other adversary countries uh, receive and can use uh, on the battlefield or elsewhere, even their economies, because it's strengthening their economy, although, although they don't say that. And how could, these, how could this technology be used on the battlefield? The chips go into, for example, GPS systems, um, decisions. What, when you have loitering munitions, uh, which are basically drones that hang out in the sky uh, looking for a target, when they find a target, they attack. Some of these munitions uh, don't have a person in the loop. They just have a signature that they're looking for. For example, the signet, what, what a visual signature of a tank. When they see it, they attack it. Now, the New York Times called the potential of these controls an act of war. What do you make of that? China's biggest exports now more than, uh, I mean, imports, China's biggest imports now more than uh, oil are chips. So it's a very important part of China's economy. They make electronics. Chips go into everything from toasters to cars. Uh, you get hundreds of chips in some electronic consumer electronics products. Um, it's the future of AI. So China really needs these things. And uh, export controls, especially when it's coordinated with countries like Japan, Netherlands, and Taiwan, will have a serious impact on China's economy and future military abilities. And there are some companies that are lobbying against these export controls. What do you say to them? They want to prioritize profits over national security. And I think that's ethically inappropriate when we're dealing with totalitarian and genocidal regimes like uh, Russia and China. Um, I think they need to see the bigger picture in terms of ethics, national security, and uh, follow the lead of the voters, basically, the, U the US government. And you've compared these uh, controls to the U.S. embargo of oil on Japan before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Um, are we really in a 1941-type situation? That's the concern. We could be. Uh, we don't want to risk being in a 1941 situation, although we're being forced to risk that 
because of China's belligerence. So uh, we need to put controls on China, um, and those controls may cause a war. I mean, we have to we have to we have to realize that. But there's there's really no other way around it. We can't allow China to get stronger. Andrews Cora, thank you very much. Thank you. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, Russia says Ukraine launched terrorist drone attacks on Moscow. However, it says it will still achieve its war aims amid the attacks. And Israeli lawmakers move forward with the plan to overhaul the country's courts despite the widespread protests. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back, everyone. The Kremlin said today Russia would press on with what it calls its special military operation in Ukraine. It said it would achieve all of its aims despite Ukrainian drone attacks on Russia. Here's more. Russia on Monday accused Ukraine of a, quote, terrorist drone attack on Moscow. Moscow's mayor, Sergei Sobyanin, claimed that the alleged assault had hit two buildings, but said there were, quote, no serious damage or casualties. Russian TV station Rossiya 24 said that specialists had managed to jam the drones, which crashed without reaching their targets. It was unclear whether the drones hit the buildings when they were downed or whether they deliberately targeted those buildings. One building was a high-rise office damaged on Likachev Avenue in the city's south. Russia's state news agencies reported, citing emergency services, that drone fragments were also found near a building on the Komsomolsky Avenue. Reuters footage showed a damaged building on the street. This local resident said she was woken by an explosion when her building started to shake. This man said he'd also heard a bang, but didn't see anything flying, even though his windows were open at the time. The alleged attack comes after nearly a week of Russia's continued pounding of Ukraine's southern port of Odessa. On Sunday, missiles killed one person there, injuring scores and badly damaging a historic Orthodox cathedral. Video obtained by Reuters showed the cathedral in flames after the attack. In his nightly address, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said almost 50 buildings were damaged, including 25 architectural monuments. There was no immediate comment from Kyiv about the drone attack. Ukraine almost never publicly claims responsibility for attacks inside Russia or on Russian-controlled territory in Ukraine. But it has been saying in recent months that destroying Russia's military infrastructure helps Kyiv's counteroffensive. Russian President Vladimir Putin has signed a law that increases the age limit for military reservists by five years. The amendments to the federal law on military duty and military service was published on the official portal of legal information. It raises the age limits for various categories of servicemen. For soldiers, sailors, and sergeants, the age limit increases from 35 to 40 years. For foremen and warrant officers, it increases from 45 to 50 years. And for midshipmen, it increases from 50 to 55 years. Additionally, the law extends the maximum age limit for those in the mobilization reserve. The new rules will take effect on January 1st, 2024, with a transitional period until about January 1st, 2028. During this period, citizens in the reserve will be gradually transferred to retirement. Israeli lawmakers approved Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's plan to reshape the country's justice system despite massive protests. The changes aim to limit the Supreme Court's authority to challenge parliamentary decisions and alter the process of selecting judges. 
Netanyahu and his allies argued that these changes are necessary to curb the powers of unselected judges. The Justice Minister Yariv Levine, the architect of the plan, hailed it as a significant step in overhauling the judiciary, which he says has too much power. However, protesters and those in opposition say the overhaul is a power grab driven by Netanyahu's personal and political grievances, especially as he faces corruption charges. With lawmakers opposed to the measure absent, it passed with a vote of 64 to 0. Climate activist Greta Thunberg was forcibly removed by police from a protest in southern Sweden today. The 20-year-old Thunberg rallied protesters in Malmo, Sweden, just hours after being fined by a local court for a similar offense last month. Recognized for her weekly climate strikes at the Swedish parliament, she faced charges for blocking the path of oil trucks at Malmo Harbor on June 19th. Although she admitted to defying the police order, she pleaded not guilty, saying she acted out of necessity, advocating for urgent climate action. As a result of the court's ruling, Thunberg was ordered to pay 1,500 Swedish crowns, or about 140 U.S. dollars. She had to pay about 100 more dollars to the Crimes Victims Fund. The fine was determined based on her reported income. The maximum sentence for disobeying a police order could have been six months in prison. Coming up, discarded food products are often still edible. Much of it ends up in landfill every year. A food bank in Darwin, Australia, sells salvaged food to those in need. And orcas are ramming into human boats, and it's making scientists scratch their heads. Why are they doing that? We'll be back with an in-depth look soon, here on NTD News. Welcome back. A timely rescue in Ohio after a police helicopter located a missing four-year-old. The child was finally reunited with his loved ones. The moment of relief for his family was all caught on camera on Thursday. Ohio State Patrol sent out its aviation crew to help locate the child after he was reported missing in Greene County. In the aerial footage taken, you can see the aviation crew spot the child in a field. They then helped lead researcher searchers to him. And then you see the heartwarming moment of the adults running up to hug the little one. Tons of perfectly edible food products end up in a landfill every year. Now an organization in Darwin, Australia is on a mission to save produce that would otherwise end up in the trash. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details on the salvaged food. These food bank trucks are on a critical mission. They perform their weekly rounds to save food from ending up in a landfill. Today, Trevor Dugdell is on the road. We've got the um, city run, so we'll be heading off to uh, some retail stores within the city to pick up our groceries. Trevor and his co-worker Joyce stop at multiple store loading bays to salvage food. So the quality's not too bad. It's still quite edible. You just cut off, I guess, the bits that you, you don't want to eat, and away you go. Sometimes they leave empty-handed. But after several hours, their truck is carrying hundreds of pounds of food. We've got some, uh, quite a bit of bread. We've got plenty of groceries and some fruit and veg. During the weekend, people can come to the organization's shop to get more affordable salvaged food. Pre-COVID, we were sitting on around about 
35,000 meals a month we were providing food for. I think currently we're sitting on about 52, 54,000. Food Bank Australia is a vital resource for people like Melison Herbers. If in other store, some, there is some expensive stuff, I cannot pay for that because I'm a low income. Darwin isn't the only place struggling with food insecurity. It's an increasing nationwide problem and a global one. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. On this episode of Strong Mind and Body, we look at the history of peppermint and how it can be used medicinally. Here's Gina Marie. Peppermint is widely used for its culinary, medicinal and aromatherapeutic properties. It represents a group of perennial herbs that includes 18 species and 11 hybrids. The most known are peppermint, wild mint and spearmint. Today, mint is known primarily for its refreshing taste and aroma. However, in ancient times it was recognized for its numerous health benefits. In ancient Egypt, Greece and Rome, mint was used to treat indigestion. It was also used to soothe the stomach. Peppermint leaves have been found in Egyptian pyramids dating back to 1000 BC. In the Middle Ages, peppermint was used to polish teeth. It was also used to keep rats and mice out of stores. By the 18th century in Western Europe, peppermint was used for nausea, morning sickness, vomiting, menstrual disorders and respiratory infections. Mint was listed in the London Pharmacopoeia in 1721 as a remedy for colds, headaches, sores and venereal disease. Mint was also acknowledged for its ability to interact with the central nervous system. For example, in South Africa, the dried leaves were burned and the smoke was inhaled as a treatment against mental illness. Recently, scientists have confirmed the effectiveness of these ancient practices. Numerous studies demonstrate that mint can regulate the nervous system. Peppermint can replace several man-made medications commonly found in a modern first aid kit. Let's look at headaches. When experiencing a headache, try to reach for peppermint instead of aspirin or Tylenol. Man-made drugs are commonly believed to be more effective than natural medicine, but the scientific research suggests otherwise. Local topical application with peppermint oil is effective in treating tension headaches. Next is nausea. When experiencing nausea or motion sickness, reach for peppermint. A study was published in the medical journal Nursing in 2016. It concluded that peppermint oil inhalation is a viable first-line treatment for nausea in post-operative cardiac surgery patients. Post-surgery, 34 patients experienced nausea with an average nausea rating of 3.29 on a scale of 0 to 5, with 5 being the worst. Two minutes after inhaling peppermint oil, the average nausea rating drops significantly to 1.44. Next is constipation. When experiencing constipation, reach for peppermint. Enteric-coated peppermint oil capsules were reported as safe and effective in the treatment of irritable bowel syndrome. That was according to a study in the Journal of Gastroenterology. So when to use peppermint? Peppermint has been shown through scientific studies to be useful in the following ways. Headache relief, pain reduction, increased alertness, decreased anxiety and fatigue, relief from nausea, relief from constipation, relief from coughing and improved sleep. The best options for a first aid kit included diluted peppermint essential oil, aromatherapy and capsules. These remedies can be made at home or purchased pre-made. In case you needed more encouragement to improve your health, a new unpublished study presented Monday shows that adding certain healthy habits could help you live longer. 
Authors of the study looked at health and wellness behaviors of nearly 720,000 U.S. military veterans. They were all between the ages of 40 and 99. The authors found that incorporating eight specific lifestyle habits by 40 could increase your life by 24 years. Those healthy habits include exercise, eating a healthy diet, reducing stress, sleeping well, and fostering positive social relationships. On the flip side, they didn't smoke, drink too much, or become addicted to opioids. If you're already older than 40, it's not too late for you to adopt the habits. The study found that if you start at 50, you could still prolong your life by up to 21 years. And if you start at 60, you could add 18 years to your life. The study was presented at Nutrition 2023, the annual meeting of the American Society for Nutrition. A strange occurrence has baffled scientists and ship captains. A series of orcas have been found ramming into boats off the coast of the Iberian Peninsula. Ah, uh, he's going for it. Oh my God. This viral video shows an orca bumping a yacht off the coast of Spain. It's behavior that has perplexed scientists, and a recent series of incidents like this has the internet joking that killer whales are rising up against wealthy yacht owners. So what's really happening here? What are the orcas up to? While many theories are circling, researchers agree the least likely reason for the strange behavior is aggression. They're incredibly social animals, they're curious animals, they're playful, uh, and I think that that's what they're doing. Dr. Deborah Giles is an orca researcher at the University of Washington. They're just, for whatever reason, again, maybe a vibration or the way the water moves around those parts, um, or they're just using them as, as um, you know, something to grab onto to, to go for a ride. Dr. Michael Weiss has another theory. We've seen killer whales do fad-like behavior and other cetaceans have fads. Our southern residents had a fad where they were wearing salmon on their head um, for a summer and everyone was doing it and then no one was doing it. Seems that most likely there was a, one or two whales who kind of started doing it and other whales learned. But playful or not, the damage to the boats is real. Yeah, like all. A sailing boat had to call for rescue in May after a group of orcas broke its rudder and pierced the hull of the ship. Weiss warns the memes may be fun, but they shouldn't change human behavior around the animals. I think the most, the, the two most tragic ways that this whole saga could end are either, you know, through a horrible accident, one of these interactions ends in a person being seriously hurt or killed, or the killer whales don't hurt anybody, uh, but people get so riled up and so nervous and afraid that someone gets their gun and goes out and tries to shoot, shoot a killer whale. Researchers aren't sure how long this unique behavior will last. You know, we don't know. We're never going to know exactly why. At least it is for me. You know, I like for the whales to keep their secrets. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.